Howdy, folks. Amber Lee Frost here. Look, I exhausted my ability to self-promote sometime in my late 20s. Now I visit train museums and assemble wooden ships, most notably a reproduction of the whaling ship Essex, which sank in 1820 after being rammed by an angry sperm whale. The surviving crew stayed alive for three months at sea, first on a few floating barrels of water and meat from Galapagos tortoises. Then they resorted to cannibalism. I also hike and do Pilates. But I still wrote a book. It's honest and candid, and it's about moments and events and experiences that you were probably a part of, too. It's got political analysis and polemic, jokes, some trashy gossip, and a little bit of memoir. If you're listening to this, I think you might like it. But to be honest, the PR department at my publisher might not know quite what to do with me. Here is an email I got in October. Hi, Amber. You had mentioned connecting with Chapo Trap House to coordinate on some contact info and promoting on their social media. Do you have contact info of someone there we can set up a meeting with? Thanks for any info. I said, maybe. Just kidding. I told him I could, but the email is word for word. You shouldn't hold it against them by any means. Frankly, freelance writer and erstwhile slash sometimes podcaster is pretty obscure and difficult to market. So I'm back at my old stomping grounds to ask you to buy the book. If you can, call your local bookstore and ask them to order it for you. I love brick and mortar bookstores, and not just because they're some of the only businesses that offer free public bathrooms. I also did an audiobook, recorded almost entirely on some pretty strong edibles. I don't really remember most of it, but maybe that's good. So I hope you buy the book. Dirtbag, essays, in one form or another. I hope you know I wrote it honestly, and I hope you find it thoughtful and compelling. But at the very least, I hope you have fun reading it. Later, Gator! Hello, everybody. It's Thursday, December 7th. Chapo is back at it. Uh, Felix and I today, but we are pleased to announce that we are joined by the other half of Truanon, Liz Franzik. Liz, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you here, and uh, there's a lot, a lot of stuff I want to get to, but just at the top of the show, I feel compelled to address something that is sort of... Uh, cast a pall over my afternoon and the uh, otherwise entertaining proceedings that I had planned for today's episode. And that is about an hour and a half before uh, we started recording today. I, I found out, as many of, I'm sure you as well did um, on Twitter, I found out about the death of one Rafat al in Gaza. And if you're like me and an English speaker, uh, you probably started following Rafat at the beginning of this conflict in Gaza, he was at uh, I Translate One Two Three, and you know, for an English speaker, he was someone who I, I was like it was a must follow for me because it was just like he was communicating in English with you know with bravery and conviction, but also a real sense of humor. The absolute horror and nightmare of what it was like to experience what's going on in Gaza right now. And like I his, like all I can say is it's a real thing about knowing someone only through their posts and just having to say like his posts were really good. And as such, I couldn't help but wonder following him and reading his 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 feed every day when Israel was going to kill him for this 
And I think we just, we found out exactly when, and it happened today. And I just like, I'm gutted by this because it's just like, you know, things like this just it, it appear sort of as an abstraction because for me personally, I don't have any real human connection to, you know, either side in this conflict or in this massacre that's going on right now. But Rafet for me was really became that guy. Um, what was just, you know, a name and a face to the, the suffering, but also the bravery uh, being displayed in Gaza right now. And I just, I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like, I just wanted to acknowledge that to start the show. He was someone um, I started following. Yeah. Um, if people want to uh, read something that Rifat uh, wrote in his lifetime, uh, he was an amazing author. He wrote the book Gaza Writes Back, which is an incredible book that came out in 2013. Uh, he was obviously a great poster, but moreover, a fantastic writer. Yeah, I I was uh, I was actually on a call with Brace earlier when we when he told me that that happened and we were talking about it and we were saying that something that's so kind of I don't know I mean of the many disturbing things about what's happening right now and this is very low on the list but one of the things is that I think unlike in other conflicts where social media has played a, a massive role in both like disseminating and um, kind of you know, acting as an in-between for information um, on whatever side of the conflict, that this is the first time I think that people are really like following specific people who are there. Like, even if you think about with Ukraine, it was like a lot of the posters were, or people posting news were either in like Kiev or Lvov or like Virginia or, you know, in, in the case of Syria, we weren't really there yet. And these are, you know, in the case of Gaza, like so many people who are not combatants, who are people, who are writers, who are poets, who are parents, who are kids, who are just trying to get people to fucking pay attention to what's going on. Um, and, you know, you see it on Instagram, you see it on Twitter, there's, you know, all over TikTok. And so there's this very weird, surreal kind of like meat space hitting like virtual experience. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That is obviously pales in comparison to some of the larger, you know, issues of what's going on, but is, you know, almost producing a very like dysphoric, very difficult to relate to feeling when you, when you witness, you know, the fucking killing of, of these people. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, like it's the surreality of feeling like you, you were, you, you knew someone in some small way only through like seeing their text and images of them in the box on your computer and i would like to reiterate it was really his totally undaunted sense of humor that really connected me with his posts and just like his point of view it was an undaunted sense of humor in the face of just like his own impending death which was pretty clear he was considering in the past couple weeks and i just for whatever it's worth as someone who can literally only witness this horror happen and can't do anything to stop it uh, his voice did reach me. It did. It did affect me in my life in some small way. And I just, uh, his name and face and voice will be one that I remember out of the, as I posted about this, out of the tens of thousands that have been snuffed out and will continue to be snuffed out in this fucking massacre. And I will. I will just. I will just note that um, his last tweet before being killed was the following: "The Democratic Party and Biden are responsible for the Gaza genocide perpetrated by Israel." So I, I will hold fast to that truth and uh, just, you know, like I will hold fast to the truth of that statement in, you know, and just as long as I'm still alive. And uh, just if I'm like I said, like it's it's 
the, the, the scope of this evil is getting really almost impossible to consider or, or talk about. And I'm sorry to, to open the show <laughs> in such a terrible way, but like, I, I do feel like, you know, we haven't talked about it for like uh, in a little bit. And I think what we're seeing now is like coming out of the, the ceasefire week and the hostage exchange, which was, you know, a huge disaster for Israel and mm-hmm. deeply hated among their own population. I think we've seen the resumption of the killing, which is, if not in scope, then intensity has surpassed the worst atrocities of the 21st century. And we've talked a lot a bit about the propaganda war on this show and what we've seen over the last week. And Felix, you really nailed this about two weeks ago, but just the carnival of, for lack of a better word, rape propaganda that's sprung up over the last couple of weeks is, is really, I mean, the less said about it, the better, because even if you take the worst possible view of what happened on October 7th, nothing in, in, in any scope would, would justify or begin to be make defensible the scale of slaughter that's been, unre- that's been unleashed in revenge for, for what allegedly occurred on October 7th, like, which was now two months ago. And now, like, you know, with the tens of thousands of people killed, like, I, I just like the, the specter of just Hillary Clinton going out there to just like <laughs> pretend that like that like sexual violence justifies basically a genocide happening. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what, what Liz, Felix, what are your reactions to this past week? Well, the rape propaganda is I don't know if they realize like how manufactured it seems because it's it, it, like, OK, so Hillary Clinton like Wolf Blitzer, every like Israel sympathetic celebrity, they all decided to start talking about this at the same time. And like about a day before that, there was an article in some publication. I forgot, <laughs> but uh, it was like people were posting it, especially people who were like, um, you know, I support the Palestinian, you know, right of self-determination except uh, for when they do anything at all. That article that was like, um, we have firsthand testimony of the mass rapes committed October 7th. And you read the article and the doctor that they're relying on for this is like, I actually think it's disrespectful to quantify how many rapes happened. And it's like, have you ever heard of this happening in any forensic investigation ever? Like it just on its face absurd. But it it definitely is like a flailing backed into the corner type thing. Well, I think even too, like it's like whether it's true or not, like even setting that aside, like the question is like, well, why is it being invoked now and by who? Right. right? Because yes. like, I think like, you know, it's like if you, anyone out there who knows anything about conflict history and like, I, I'm not look one, I'm female. I don't know shit about world war two, except I do, but I know that that's not my ground game. But I'll say that, like, you know, the use of, like, rape or stories of rape that get circulated always, you know, and it's always about a specific nationality, like, they get invoked for a nationalist cause, right? And they're used to shore up support for retribution, usually, which means, like, the mass killing of a specific people who they say are the ones doing the rapes, you know? And so, like, and it's key, though, it's like, you know, it is never, ever, ever invoked for a universal or even any kind of feminist cause ever. It's always to justify retribution, right? And this is, it's always constantly used in that way. 
And I think it's being used in this way now, particularly in America. And like, keep in mind, like th this is coming on the heels of the Biden administration or their official spokespeople. Uh, so, you know, Biden himself saying, I saw the 40 beheaded babies, then backing up the claims about, <laughs> oh, the terror command center underneath the Al-Shifa hospital, them saying that they don't, that they doubt the accuracy of the Gaza Ministry of Health death toll. And then we have this week a claim, some, a statement that's already being walked back. But uh, I'm just reading here. This is uh, uh, coming from Julia Ayafi. So, you know, it's true. Oh, uh, according to three senior Biden administration officials, Hamas is not releasing the remaining women hostages because it seems they have been sexually abusing them. One official said they think Hamas is keeping these women in order to keep raping them. That, yeah, that, that was like kind of everything they've put out is like this. But it's like very birth of a nation. Type <laughs> shit. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. just, Jesus. Like, yeah, it's like you. To even like entertain this, you would have to be like one of the most racist people alive. It's cool how we're finding out that people are too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I don't like again. This is not a thing that's like persuading, like uh, persuading people who are paying attention to this for the first time or anything. This is more just like riling up the base. Which well, it, all their it stuff totally is, is. Yeah. I mean, I saw today just like right before we got on that, like Planned Parenthood came out and condemned Hamas, which one. <laughs> what they heard someone God. else was killing babies. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like, first of all, thank God. I'm so happy to know that Planned Parenthood doesn't support Hamas because I was worried. You know, that Hamas, I love the idea that Hamas is in Planned Parenthood. Hamas is supporting Planned Parenthood. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's just also. Yeah, well, they absurd. are the establishment, Liz. Yeah. yeah. And but Hamas like, is the establishment, i.e., the New York Times and the UN. Yeah. The, Hamas is the UN. Didn't you hear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is like, I will say that, I mean, setting aside the crazy propaganda, it's crazy. You just like, it's like from, you pivot from babies to ladies to, I don't know who's next, but I'm excited to find out. Um, <laughs> but I, this is going to sound really like, uh, New York, New York Times subscribers person, but like I, it, it's just like oh my norms, but I do feel like especially since the ceasefire, right, and kind of leading up to it, and then in this sort of like intensification, like you said, that's happened since, that we are like just exploding all of these sort of 20th century classic liberal international norms so oh, yeah. fast. We're moving so fast <laughs> beyond them. It's crazy, like. The idea, any kind of claim to like human rights, gone. Like any, you know, the idea of like states shouldn't target journalists and their families, like gone. I, I know it sounds like I know, you know, that like oh, the the UN has some sort of authority, gone. And I know it's like stupid because yes, on the one hand, we all know oh, those are kind of fake too. But also, there was a sense there was kind of a, you know, everyone had this sort of like silent agreement that we we're all kind of going to pretend a little bit that this stuff was real in order to kind of keep things together. And yeah. it feels like. From both Israel and obviously, I mean, really from the U.S., just like the bearing of the teeth that you're seeing from the state and really like no one saying anything. You know what I mean? Like a little bit here and there. And obviously there's a lot of people on the ground in there's, But like institutionally, you're not hearing the kind of outcry that I think a lot of us could imagine in the case of like if this were you know, Russia, or if this was someone else yeah. that wasn't, you right. know, a friend or and, our good best friend of the Middle East, you know? And I think that's a really good point. And like, we, and obviously, like, it, it, to offer critique of it, I mean, like, 
obviously, like the the norms and rules based international order was you know instituted to cover up for a lot of evil shit and allowed a lot of evil shit to to take place in terms of the maintenance of empire. But I think what we're doing now is in that we're trashing all of those rules that we like claim exist because like to uphold that empire, we're trashing all of them to continue this gross, violent empire. And the answer is like, well, what replaces them? And the answer is absent, even like these imaginary guardrails. We are truly in a time of jackals. We live in, this is the hour of the wolf we live in now. No, absolutely. It definitely feels like that. It feels like all kind of, you know, whatever vestiges were left after 9-11 of that kind of, you know, like you say, rules-based international order. I mean, remember responsibility to protect? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I yep. mean, Smith the Powers is there, right? Like, yep. I mean, it, all, all of these sort of big ideas that, that um, you know, the kind of like, yeah, the chattering class has had about, you know, the U.S. and their role in and kind of like keeping international order. Securing democracy and human rights. Yeah. And, you know, upholding I mean, a standard all... of behavior for yeah, state and, action. Yeah, and of course, like you say, that was always, you know, PR for just allowing a hegemon to do whatever the hegemon, de- you know, the hegemon decides the rules. Okay, I get all of that. I'm not like, you know, it's not my first rodeo. But there, even the pretense, all of it is gone. And so you're watching, you when you see people kind of trying to justify a lot of this stuff, I mean, I just, you see people really flailing because they can't lean on those things anymore, you know? Like even, I don't know if you guys saw the um, the Ivy League, I guess it was just Ivy Leagues, right? The the congressional Oh, yeah, testimony. the congressional, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, will, I, can, I was so embarrassed by that. Just <laughs> I the mean, idea that like a Jewish person would be that annoying that we have to have like congressional <laughs> hearings. It was like a, a great humiliation for our people. Well, you've done uh, Liz, so much I'll... work to like move past that, and then they bring you right back in. But Liz, to your point about how like this 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 carnival of like rape theater is is, mm. is always used to rile up the base. I think I'd like I'd like to be specific here. This is to rile up the liberal base, not the conservative one. Because like, look, right. we understand the conservative re- reactionaries live in a hot house of like you know uh, they already live in a live in a fantasy of rape world and its effects on the on human beings but like that's why the propaganda this week has been focused on sexual violence against women and elite ivy league universities because this is about disciplining a a restive and increasingly morally appalled liberal democratic base so if you can get the so like the desperate attempt to corral people back into the tent through the invocation of like Hamas's, you know, ISIS-like brutality and sexual violence towards women and girls. And by the way, in a lot of these uh, accounts about the uh, rapes or alleged rapes that happened on October 7th, I've noticed that a lot of the people seem to be invoking how attractive the women were. And Have you noticed that? Ugh. It's a bit weird. No, I didn't see that. That's horrifying. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm going to read one here. Uh, it says here, yeah, this is from yeah. This is from the New York Post. Horrific new stories of Hamas rapes in Israel surface, including attack on a woman with the face of an angel who screamed to be killed. That is the, that's Post. literally birth of a nation. Yep. <laughs> like it, it's like I'm yeah. sorry, but like yeah, no, like rape, rape does happen in a lot of wars, and like they never note in the report like how hot the victim was. Yeah. Like this yeah. is just like pure fucking sensationalism and it, it like it it's so clearly just a knee-jerk response to the debacle for israel that the hostage exchange was they're yeah. ju- they're completely like humiliated by the fact that like 
that Hamas didn't like, I don't know, keep their hostages in dog kennels. Well, did you see that one lady that was furious that Hamas taught her kid manners? Yeah. <laughs> he was like, oh, yeah, when, they, when, my, when my child came home, he, the, the, she waited for others to be served before she started eating. It made me really wonder about Israeli dinner technique. <laughs> yeah, like, got to hey, grab lady, as much as you, you can as fast as yeah, you can. Yeah, what were you teaching yeah. before? Yeah. And, you know, like, again, like, I, even if you're inclined to believe what this propaganda alleges, like, you like Israel has gotten their revenge 50 to 100 times over at this point. Yeah. And revenge isn't like a tenant of war. Like, that's not how this works. Right. You don't get to lean on that. You don't get to lean on like mass retribution. I mean, that's talking about like well, another I mean, norm. Right. We, we, we can now in the hour of the wolf. Like these are the new right. rules and standards right. where it's just like, oh, if something grievously evil happened to you, then there is no restraint on the level of evil that you can unleash on a group of people associated with that uh, heinous act committed yeah. against you. But at the same time, any evils that occurred like even a year ago to you do not count. Like yeah. <laughs> any any like mass rape perpetrated by Israelis that were detaining Palestinians, especially children, that doesn't count. And it's actually anti-Semitic to bring that up. I mean, like this is another thing that happened this week in light of the uh, the hilarious university challenge in front of Congress <laughs> is like, you know, the, the, the passage of a new measure in Congress that officially states that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism and that like any protest against Israel is just calling for a new Holocaust. It's not about Palestinian rights or Palestinian freedom. It's all just a Jew hatred. And it's just like it's the fervor and like totality with which they are enforcing these new speech standards that shows how fucking desperate they are how desperate they are to, to just get anyone to talk or notice anything other than the moral, political, and strategic disaster that U.S. policy has been in terms of supporting Israel throughout this slaughter. Yeah. I mean, the, the, um, the, the way that the whole Ivy League thing or the university thing was conducted, too, was just wild to watch. Um, and it was also, it was like a little disturbing to see how many people ate it up. Like, I actually think I was like, I don't want to give the universities credit or anything, but a lot of them like really were trying not to flinch and take the bait on what the what, you know, what the, some of these questions when they were demanding the you know, whether or not calling for genocide, Jewish genocide is a is harassment, which is just like, a, you know, the, the how many ways they can do a like stop. How, when did you stop beating your wife kind of questioning? <laughs> um yeah. But then the response is like, you know, you see like Dave Portnoy is like, I'm not going to hire anyone from MIT. I'm not going to hire anyone from Harvard. <laughs> oh, wow. I can't imagine what Barstool Sports would be like without MIT graduates. I know. Just think. It's, a, it's, just like, think. it's like goodwill hunting. Every time Frank they the find Tank someone, every time they find someone who's like amazing at math, they're like, we need you for pizza scores. Yes. <laughs> Some poor janitor is not going to make it now that Dave Portnoy is turning away his street smarts. <laughs> yeah, we need. Yeah. We need we we can't have anyone beneath like National Honors Society students uh, ranking the ten hottest freshmen of <laughs> ASU's incoming class. But the campus stuff like has made me feel like crazy. Like I was like looking into yeah. the stuff because I was like, oh, I'm going oh, on Chapo. So, yeah. I gotta know about I gotta know about the news. I'm gonna like read the news so I know about. And so I'm like you know keeping abreast of all of this stuff and i'm just like oh shit so there's a war in, in in you know gaza and then apparently just a war on every american campus <laughs> like these people are crazy what is wrong first of all i'm reading that i sound so boomer i'm gonna lean into it i'm reading in the papers these days 
that kids these days want to ban the word intifada. What is wrong with you? What is people? This is like making it makes me go like intellectual dark web where I'm like, your babies, your babies, like grow up. You're a big, rich baby. Grow up. It, grow up. What is Voldemort coming? What's wrong with yeah, you? Yeah. Like, like, I, yeah, it's also like, like, it's so like pussy in a way to like go against universities because like if you do this to a normal person, right? If you to any normal person who sees what's going on and has like, you know, the majority opinion more or less, uh, and you go, you're anti-Semitic, blah, blah, blah. The normal response is either like, okay, how? Or like just that shit doesn't work on me, like fuck you. But a university president does not have those techniques. They they have not they're not at the level where you've learned those techniques. All they can do is just they they're like stupid robots. So if you say that to them, they're like, I condemn anti-Semitism in all its forms. Yeah. And then you can like even someone like um Marsha Blackburn can trap them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Felix, I saw recently like you're right, like like Ivy League University president is such a fucking funny job. Because like <laughs> I, I you're right, there it's like a chat bot. And I saw I saw a clip from the other week uh, at Brown University, whereas the Brown University president addressing a candlelight vigil for one of the Brown students who was shot in the state of Vermont for being Palestinian. And while she was speaking, the crowd started protesting her and like demanding that Brown divest from like Israeli arms manufacturers or whoever sells weapons to Israel. Mm -hmm. And you could see like the chatbot was breaking down because she was running the script that was like, we hear you. Your voices are seen. You know, like your your bodies yeah. are heard. And then like she like the people start protesting her and it's like er, error does not compute. And she's like, <laughs> I, uh, is this how you want to pay tribute to your friend? Really? You don't know how badly you look right now, but like university president is like you're a hedge fund manager who still has yes. to like provide a provide like a, a sounding board for angry students and hear their voices and make their bodies and spaces. And like you'll see come up with like summer camp activities for teenagers. Yeah. yeah. Like, what are they even doing there now? I really that, do that, sound yeah. like a boomer. I'm like, you should you start smoking a pipe, Liz. Yeah. I mean, give it, <laughs> yeah. Give me a 401k and a pipe. I'll do it. But like. I'm just it's like, God damn it. This it's it's just all babying. Everyone grow up. Grow up. <laughs> yeah, like I I I like I wanted to become a Fuerzo Convertido after <laughs> after I, I read like the that like some Jewish student was like I heard in Antifida, I'm unsafe. I'm I'm probably gonna die. I'm sending letters to my family. It was one of the most embarrassing, ethnically embarrassing things, Ugh. like probably ever for me. I, I mean, mean, like, but you're at US UCLA, like you're fine. <laughs> University of Spoiled Children in Southern California. Yeah, sorry, Caleb Williams didn't work out this year, but yeah, you, the NCAA has made you feel unsafe. But yeah, it's just like I mean, like uh, yeah, like uh, some guy uh, appearing with the Republicans with Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House, to be like, I feel unsafe, bitch. The entire U.S. government is behind you. What do you feel unsafe about? And like, and certainly know. in light of me fucking considering and reading like Rafat's last week of tweets come from Gaza of like what facing death actually is like and like the bravery and, and just like the bravery with which he faced his death versus these absolute pussies and their fucking Hogwarts fantasy. Like you were talking yeah. about this. They think they think the Dementors are going to come to get them because, yeah, they feel ostracized from their peers and rightly so. 
it just, it's like another one of those like through the looking glass moments, right? Like this is making me feel so insane at the beginning of all of this when, you know, supporters of Israel were coming out and like, it's like, oh, it's so tortured for me to have this opinion, but I have to speak out. It's like, you're not saying anything crazy. You're saying everything that the U.S. state is saying. Like, what are you talking about? Because they feel what, like, yeah, unsafe, like some of the, like, I, I just don't understand. Unsafe doesn't mean like literally physically in danger anymore. It means like I right. I have an opinion that's like incredibly safe and free of social or, or employment consequences for the most part. But it's like not cool. People don't like me. Yeah. That's all that that's all it means for everyone, whether it's like a liberal Zionist or a Republican or really anyone else. It's just that like I don't I don't have the right cultural cachet for my opinion. That's like why my solution for all of this, this is kind of like Brace Belden's solution too, is just like to go like fully accelerate everything and get just make the canvases crazier. Like make it so that like like I don't know, like make it like Okay, it's blue hair is banned, but also it's illegal to support Trump. But also, it's you have to mandatory. It's mandatory to bully Protestants. But also, everyone <laughs> yes, has yes. to like just make it like Let's as like stop Protestant hate. Yes, on, on college campuses. I remember yeah. uh, this. In transition is mandatory unless you're trans and then you have to detrans. Like everyone has to switch, <laughs> but only on like Wednesdays. Like make it like fucking crazy and see what happens. And just let uh, Liz, the whole thing collapse under its contradictions. I, and uh, in Philip K. Dick's uh, Flow My Tears, the policeman said, like throughout mm-hmm. that book, which takes place in sort of like a not too distant dystopian future, a couple of years after the Nixon administration, uh, all U.S. college campuses are essentially walled off like <laughs> Gaza and just are under basically military yeah. occupation. I mean, schools are really like prisons these days anyway, aren't they? <laughs> hey, That's teacher. what they say. I'm going back I mean, into my boomer for that one. <laughs> well, I, I do want to talk about because Liz, uh, you mentioned that you actually watched the Republican debate last oh night. God. Just to, just to transition segue a little bit into domestic. <laughs> oh my politics. god! I First forgot of all, that it. was a yeah. secret. That was a secret, <laughs> and I cannot believe you just aired my. Liz, to be fair, I did that for you guys because I was like, maybe they'll want to talk about this, and so I well, should I be definitely prepared. Do. I like to be prepared. <laughs> I want to Liz. say that this was the first time I had actually watched one of these things. Wow. Pretty cool. That's right? my first. Wow. <laughs> my immediate. I'm going to say my first reaction real quick is that I think it is stunning and brave that Chris Christie has not taken Ozempic. <laughs> Didn't he get lap band surgery though? I think he did, but then he came back from it. But okay. I'm just yeah, like yeah, a man like, of his position. Yeah, yeah, he's one of the only people to defeat lap band surgery. Yes, like he could totally <laughs> like, like roker himself and do a like like. Oh, I'm coming back. It's a new me, new brand. I'm skinny Christy now. And he's not doing it. He's like committed to the like big jolly man, which yeah. I kind of got to give him credit in this day and age in our culture. You know, Mike Huckabee did that. Mike Huckabee, <laughs> his like star making thing on the national scene was that he was like this giant fat guy and then he lost a lot of weight. And then slowly over the Obama years, he gained all of it back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, the one the one real highlight from the Republican debate last night that I want to talk about was uh, Mm -hmm. Nikki Haley and the following comment she made. We really do need to ban TikTok once and for all. And let me tell you why. For every 30 minutes that someone watches TikTok every day, 
they become 17% more anti-Semitic, more pro-Hamas based on doing that. For every 30 minutes that someone watches TikTok every day, they become 17% more anti-Semitic, more pro-Hamas. <laughs> Who's measuring <laughs> this? I was like, where does this statistic come from? And I talked to Chris about this before, and he was like, are you sure they're referring to TikTok and not Comtown? Uh, I mean, I definitely become more anti-Semitic the more I listen to like video podcasts, so I can understand that completely. <laughs> but... Uh, Liz, I'm mean, like Haley. It seems like the money is coalescing around her as the DeSantis alternative. But like, truly, in watching this debate, was there any winner other than Donald Trump? No, I mean, I literally, I was watching it. I mean, to be fair, I have to have some self. I was watching clips, okay, so I wasn't like really like tuned in and <laughs> typing away at this. But um, they're all losers. They're all fucking losers. Like they're like Nikki is not great either. Like, she doesn't have any star power. She doesn't have any juice. I feel like Vivek was, like, so funny because he's just, like, running his mouth. He'll say whatever, which I kind of like. He's obviously just auditioning for whatever role he can get next in, you know, the extended uh, Marvel universe of the Trump ad, incoming Trump admin or whatever it's going to be. But, like, at least he was, like, kind of, like, him and Christy were, like, kind of being fun with it, where I think Nikki and... Um, Ron Dion, I can never drop, I can never forget the fact that his middle name is Dion, which is so crazy. Ron Dion DeSantis. <laughs> it's prime time, baby. What? It's prime time. Why, why is his middle name Dion? It's crazy. Ron Dion DeSantis goes Ron crazy. Dion? I didn't, Ron I, Dion I, I DeSantis. I did. It's like too much. De- Ronald like Dion. He's like a member of B2K. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're like so boring and square but like very um like they very inhibited like they seem like they're really like tense and like DeSantis always looks like he's like really holding it in and like doesn't want to actually express himself because if he expresses himself it's just going to come out like super weird which it does like they were like who's your favorite president and he was like Calvin Coolidge and you're Calvin like Calvin fucking Coolidge is his like, favorite what? president yeah or like who he would like <laughs> admire the most whatever it was that's what he came up with Coolidge and you're like if you let Ron Dion like be himself that's what you get and it's so funny that all of the like up until they didn't I, because they were all ashamed that all you, the like base Liz, that's people a- threw behind this wet blanket did you see the uh did you see the thing that he posted like earlier last week that was like um to get on the ballot in Colorado candidates are encouraged to state their excitement for the Colorado Republican primary and urge people to follow the Colorado Republican party <laughs> i am very excited to be part of the <laughs> Colorado Republican primary please follow colorado gop it's just like everything is so off putting yeah like it, it's he's very uncanny valley like there's something wrong, but you don't know what it is. And so you spend all your yeah, time Liz. trying to figure out what's off instead of actually listening to him in any kind of way. Don't you think he got micro lipo? Cause like his mm. face is incredibly gaunt, but he still has the same shitty body. Yeah. That's what's so weird is cause he lost, no, he lost a little bit, but then everything else kind of remained. So it's like, he wasn't Ozempicing because that would have given him crazy, thin man face and it's not that far gone but he didn't repuff up whereas like nikki haley i can tell she's had a little bit of she's been puffed up a little bit not as far as 
good old Brandon, though, who's like, an, <laughs> yeah. he's like Thanksgiving Day Parade Snoopy up there. But like, but like, his jaw, like his, his waddle is sagging. Like everything oh else God. is tight his face and is, tight. It almost like makes you believe is... the double stuff from the right that they like. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just like, dude, he does. He do be looking crazy. Like his, <laughs> yeah. he's puffed. Yeah. He's puffed. This Israel stuff is killing him. But I think DeSantis could get away with being like, kind of weird and damp like he seems damp to me which is never a good thing um but if he like also didn't wear heels like it's all too much like the idea that he's wearing lifts the fact that he's like is kind of seems like he's damp the fact that he's kind of weird and awkward and gives these weird smiles the things that he comes out of his mouth like it's all too much he could get away with one being weird and then he'd be eccentric but he's just like kind of a big loser baby yeah no he's you get the sense that like you touch him and he's like he's clammy like a yes baby. and yes. like that's one thing like clammy men have gone this is the best country to be a clammy man you can go very far <laughs> being clammy in america but you can't be clammy and wear lifts Mm -hmm. and like have his weird body and also (laughs) say things like you know go up to you know a grandfather who's eating a pancake breakfast in iowa and say something like um so how about this indian summer (laughs) you can't do all of that at once I, I Liz, I do think it is interesting that he invoked Coolidge as his favorite president because I think that's like a, an evolution in uh, conservative basedness. Because mm-hmm. like the fact that he has to say you have to pick, you have to pick like sort of a boutique president as your favorite one because like Ugh. heretofore if you're a Republican or really any presidential candidate and they ask you who your favorite president is, but especially for Republicans, Lincoln right there. It's like almost like you have to say Lincoln. Yeah, but, or oh, Reagan. Reagan. Like, didn't, didn't that, who's that, who's that little like ginger gremlin who is like the alt-right guy who shit himself? Chuck Johnson, I think. He wrote a book called Why Coolidge Matters. So oh they're, they're reaching into the, uh, the, into the archives to resurrect the career of yeah. Calvin Yeah, he does Coolidge. it next. Yeah. Well, Cal- <laughs> Calvin Coolidge is such a weird choice for those guys because he like, he invented like woke capital. Mm. <laughs> he was like he was like the main guy who was doing that for, uh until like you know the the 2010s he he was like he had incredibly like laissez-faire pro-business policies but he would also be like hey like let's not be mean to black people this also just like to me like this proves some like horrible truth which is just that none of these guys could take brandon ever because you know if someone asked brandon like what his favorite president was he'd just be like you go easy. You're like Lincoln, LBJ, Reagan. Like, just play the hits. And everyone would cheer because they're just like, yeah, I know those guys. Those are the only presidents I know. The ones on the money and Ronald Reagan. I like Chester A. Arthur. Yeah. And all the Republicans are like, especially DeSantis is like, oh, what's the most like, like obscure based one that like the 45 follower count Pepe is going to like really repost to his like 200 people in his group chat. And that will get yeah. me. It's like, dude, just go for the hits but they won't because they're losers. Biden likes LBJ so much that he's like doing an impression of his latter. <laughs> yeah. Skinwalking. Yeah. But, but, like, but, like, but like way shittier. 
He's yeah. doing the all right society. <laughs> as I said, the meh society. Yeah. Who Biden has delivered thus far. Yeah. He's doing the like midsummer, like putting the like bear skin on and then getting into the like getting into the effigy, but it's for LPJ <laughs> and his skin. I wonder who is like Eugene McCarthy would be. Like the the weird weird poetic guy who who uh sort of primaries him. It'll be John Fetterman. He'll primary him for like not being pro-Israel <laughs> enough. <laughs> one thing I, one last thing I will say that I really liked was, well, I don't really like because he's, and again, they're all losers. Loser number four, Vivek Ramaswamy or whatever. He, at one point, so like he, they're all trying to be like the, the coolest to the internet, which no, it's not going to happen. Okay. Get over it. But at one point he's just like, I'm the I'm the only one with the courage to come up here and say what people won't say. Like, why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job, that the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11, that the great replacement theory is not some grand right wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform. I think that there's questions about 9-11. Or like, I think that January 6th was inside job. Or he's just like saying all this stuff and people, everyone's supposed to be like, whoa. But I think that like, if he really wants to get attention, he should, he should, I was thinking about this. I was like, you should do that. But like, you have to actually say stuff that like is going to really like be crazy. Like, I think he should just be like, Nikki Haley, you're a lizard person. You're a lizard person. And yeah. also just like start making up skin mask off on stage. Yeah. yeah. Or just like throw it, give us some new ones that we haven't heard of. Like that could be like, I'm the only one willing to say that airplanes have never flown ever. <laughs> yes, like, or so, or same like, with, just same like, with elevators. You yeah, get off on the Bill same Clinton floor. is a pansexual. Like just say crazy <laughs> shit, you know, like thermodynamics is fake. I don't did know. You, did you see when, uh, him and Nikki Haley. It was not this debate, the last one, where they went at it, and they almost they almost reenacted. How can she slap? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it was like he said he said something like, "Oh, well, you say you're against TikTok because it's Chinese, but your daughter's on there." Ooh, which is like, does he have an alert for every fifteen year old that joins TikTok? <laughs> how does he know that? I didn't even know that. I know all the minutiae about Republican candidates, not 15-year-olds. <laughs> and, and Jonathan, like, the only reason I'm here is because you are a friend. Like, what was my speaking fee? So you're not making was, any... Hey, first exactly. of all, I'm Andrew, but... Uh, yeah, sorry. It's okay. Uh, second of all, we've known each other for a very long time. I'm spoken. Um, uh, to, to move on from the uh, Republican debate, but to uh, still play the hits, uh, one thing that we did not mention last week that I'm uh, happy to have the opportunity to uh, take your temperature on, Liz, as a, as a longtime observer of Bay Area culture and, oh, its, no. uh, <laughs> and its excesses, but I'm wondering what you made of Elon Musk's appearance at the New York Times deal book, uh, the interview with Andrew Ross Sorkin, where he basically just... What do you make of his just like further descent into being like mentally unstable meme brain? Like, what, what yeah. did you make of, of his performance at the Deal Book Summit? Well, he was like on crazy drugs, right? Like, I mean, that was my my immediate reaction was like, what the fuck is this dude on? And it's probably like those drugs that I don't that are like eight, three, six, four, two. A like, math equation. You know? Yeah. 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 That's like 
oh no, it's the same name as one of Elon's kids. Shit. But like, <laughs> yeah. So he seemed like crazy hopped up. He seemed really um like, I don't know. I mean, it seemed le- it seemed very kind of sad. There was like a weird somber tone. Like he seems like he's I've watched so much Elon over the years, especially of, of him doing these kind of like, you know, the big show of like the new Tesla coming out or the new, you know, when he gets up and does his real like carnival barker routine. And there's, there was always like a little bit of sparkle in his eye when he was doing those, you know, like he's really like, likes to be the showman. And this was just like, kind of like sad, like he sad, like he looks like he's like melting into himself a little bit. Like he's like becoming one with, I don't know, like he's like getting more blob like, does that make sense? He yeah. doesn't seem he doesn't seem well to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. He he had like fat kid on picture day posture. Yeah. <laughs> like Talk the about tiniest someone who is on those If you're a big yeah, guy, he, you have like, to know you can't wear a tiny jacket. I, I he did like lose about twenty pounds like very rapidly on Ozempic. Ozempic, I, yeah. Yeah. I do think that he like the stupid jacket is like, all right, I'm thin again. Time for some cool <laughs> outfits. And that's like, like the best thing he could come up with. Yeah, that's like what all his cars look like too. Like, did you see the Cybertruck? I mean, it finally came out. Oh my god! And yeah. he, uh, the- I was looking at it, <laughs> this- and I'm just like, this is insane. Oh, he had a, he had a great week with the Cybertruck. Did you guys see the um the, the video demonstration proving that the the door of the Cybertruck can withstand small arms fire from a Tommy gun? Yeah, that, oh that'll, that'll come in a lot of fucking use to me driving. And like, also, if the windows aren't bulletproof, what fucking use is it? Literally, like, who is the customer for this? I yeah, swear Al to God, Capone. like, I was looking at this and no, but you know what it is? Like, this is what I it's think. It's his South African mindset. It is his South African programming that makes him no, build like, a car like Elon that. Elon is like so far in the manosphere that he's literally trying to bring back, like, um, uh, pickup artist culture. So he's like, oh yeah, he's it's like, it's like old car. timey gangsters with their fedoras, and you're getting hit <laughs> by a <laughs> by a crazy like machine gun from the twenties. And like the car itself looks fucking insane. Like if I saw someone drive, like if you buy the Cybertruck, that's gonna be the like second line in your obituary. Like you can never <laughs> not be the guy who owns the set. Like that's just it. You know yeah. what I mean? It's kind of like. My advice to the three women that are not Catherine and Amber listening to this <laughs> is always like you never want to be like the person who has like a haircut. Like you never want to be the they're like, oh, I love their haircut. Like, no, no, no. They like your hair. It's always like part of you. Right. It's an extension of who you are. And that's just what they notice is you and that you're a person who has nice hair, not that you're a person who has this kind of haircut like because then it's like separate from you and that's the same thing with this car it's like it's basically a form of peacocking that he's bringing back because your ass gets out of a cyber truck like oh my you're getting bullied like that's you're just the guy with the cyber truck you're an asshole you're an asshole well yeah i mean it it seems like it seems like Elon's progressive instability and like I said, like his putting brain, just his putting brain performances that he keeps putting on and like just the, the, the more and more tenuous grasp he seems to have both on reality and like his, his own companies, I think it's just kind of indicative of like a, a broader, I don't know, uh, crisis for Silicon Valley right now. And it's something we've talked about on the show before about like the landing strip has run out. The landing strip of like free money and interest rates, like that's gone. 
And like, uh, like a lot of these places are shuttering now, but I think there's like a bigger crisis of confidence, which is that Silicon Valley for a while was like at the nexus of one of those like waves when like technology and capitalism like combined to like capture the imagination and sort of like perceived needs of the entire planet. And I guess like the American auto industry was like, would be like a previous example of like an earlier generation. But the thing is, not, not only have they run out of runway in terms of like the, the limitless money spigot, I think they've run out of things that are actually world changing or things that actually people want. And then we've seen like these cycles of like, whether it's like cryptocurrencies or NFTs and now AI to kind of like reverse engineer that same magic. But it's all for things that like aren't necessary and people don't want. So like that's like all the like Liz. What do you make of all of these like battles over artificial intelligence? Like you know, was that guy Sam Altman was like recently mm-hmm. kicked out because like oh they're like uh, people were concerned he was making AI too good and just like we've talked about before like the invocations of the dangers of AI. Is it like it just it all smells of marketing to me and like this desperation to like create this like apocalyptic threat to the world to sell it to the world. I mean, I think there's definitely some of that for sure. I'm a big. I think that like. When I very much agree, especially in the, um, you know, a lot of the kind of like ripoff uh, chat GPT stuff, kind of ripoff models, all of these competing models for, you know, making, you know, smarter, uh, smarter recommendation algorithms or LLMs or whatever, it, whatever it may be. And try, basically trying to find use cases for all of these kind of consumer facing products like the you know, autocomplete stuff or the chat bots or the image makers or whatever. Like, I think a lot of the consumer facing stuff is, you know, I think it gets used because that's what we see. Like, you know, that's, that's like all, we don't get to see what's behind the, the wizard of Oz, right? Like if we're talking about like open AI in, in particular. Um, so like the stuff that we see, it does get, I think, talked up too much to the point of like doing doing PR for itself, like what you're saying, where, I mean, I do have like my own critiques of LLMs and their use and all of that stuff that we don't need to get, I don't even want to get into. But I would say that like, I think the open AI stuff is really interesting. Like I was following that whole, um, I guess the the kind of succession-esque board coup that took place where they tried to oust Altman over what they said was like, What's weird is that they said, like you, like you said, they said that it was because he, you know, either he wanted to make it too safe or he didn't want to make it safe enough. It's like always one of those things where I think both of the people, like, I think it was like with, um, uh, what's his name? Scott Sutskever. They all have these crazy ass names. The chief scientist behind OAI, uh, at OAI, who was like the one trying to oust Altman from, from leadership there. It was that, you know, Altman wanted to kind of like prioritize safety, but didn't really want to push AI to where it could go. Um, and But all of these people basically agree that there should be some kind of parameters in place. So they're all kind of, on. It, it's like they disagree sort of like in in degree rather than kind, which is, I think, the only way you can be about this stuff. But then you see the like new nouveau hucksters coming out, these like, EAC, these like effective oh, yeah, accelerationists yeah. that are effective sort of saying accelerationist. that they're, yeah. yeah, I just want to say like EAC because I think it's EAC, like a joke too. They, Kathy? EAC, I do, that's what I think, Kathy, yeah. AC, 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 But they think, they're, they want to like say that like, oh, there's there should be no limits. But that's like not very possible, I think. 
I mean, I, I, cause I, like, I just, there was just an article in Forbes about the EAC people, which is like the latest iteration of effective altruism. Now that mm-hmm. people have discovered that altruism isn't effective, and like we've seen kind of a meltdown of that movement. I just saw, I mean, it's incredible. It's Jover for the effective altruist because <laughs> Steven Pinker referred to them as a cult, apparently, and they're not taking it well. But like, I just think they're like the, the uh, indicative of this crisis that Silicon Valley is not actually making anything new or interesting or useful anymore. They're ever they're they need ever more boutique ideologies like EAC to sort of pander to their and th- this idea that like oh like AI is so dangerous, but like we're we're the ones that are going to profit off of it and sell it to you. And I just want to read a little bit from the uh, the Forbes article about EAC. It says here. Uh, Andreessen Horowitz co-founder Mark Andreessen says that at based Jeff based Beth Jezos is a patron saint of techno optimism. Gary Tan, who co-founded the venture firm Initialized Initialized Capital before becoming CEO of Y Combinator, calls him brother. Sam Altman, who founded OpenAI, the company that finally mainstreamed artificial intelligence, has jokingly sparred with him on Twitter. Elon Musk says his memes are quote fire emoji. It says here, at various points on Twitter, Jezos has defined effective accelerationism as, quote, a mimetic optimism virus, quote, a meta-religion, quote, a hypercognitive biohack, and, quote, a form of spirituality, and, quote, not a cult. Uh, I hate the way all these people talk so much. I hate saying Beth Jesus. I just, I hate it. I hate it. I want to keep also my brain like can't say it. So I always want to say like beef Jesus. So I'm just going to call him Mr. Beef from now on because I refuse to take him seriously. (laughs) But I do think that like it's funny because I think that um, 2024 is going to be a big year for people kind of realizing maybe some of the potential about AI outside of like the goofy consumer stuff that's getting rolled out, like some of the more serious stuff that these guys are basically racing towards but what and so what you're going to see kind of happen is like a bunch of weird ai cults maybe coming popping up and i'm afraid that like i think in our heads we're like you know it'll be like in the 60s where they're kind of like esoteric hippie cults but maybe it's just going to be as lame as this (laughs) where it's just some guy named like beef jesus posting fire emojis on like to grok or whatever (laughs) elon is rolling out just one more quote here. It says, on Twitter, Jezos described the company as an AI Manhattan project and once quipped, if you knew what I was building, you'd try to ban it. Verdon declined to disclose more details about X-Tropic, but he described the project as creating a different type of physics-based computer that is not quantum. Oh, my God. This, I mean, this just reminds me of when Soldier Boy was like, I made a new game <laughs> yeah, console. Yeah, invented the PlayStation. Yeah, yeah no, it's the same thing. Yeah, I think all of these EAC people are extremely goofy. Um, I think that they, like a lot of a lot of people online, have taken their cues from like the crypto boys of, and a lot of them were crypto boys, right? Like of kind of mistaking internet clout as like meaningful in a political sense. Um, whereas, like, I do think that the EA people, like. You know, I think that obviously ba- the Sam Bankman Freed stuff kind of killed a lot of momentum for the effect of altruists. But one thing I'll give them credit for is that they have like real, there's a lot of like, they've really taken over a lot of academic institutions. They are, there's a lot of people who are very serious in the effective altruist movement that are at like 
kind of like high levels in bureaucracy. I mean, I'm not I'm making it sound like it's a coup or something. I'm just mean that like there's a lot of people in like organized that are organized effectively on like in within institutions, whether that's in the media, in academia, or actually within like, you know, government bureaucracy that are like adherents to that kind of stuff. Whereas the EAC people are just kind of like goofy posters. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think they're actually trying to do anything. And so you see these guys like uh, Horowitz or whatever, and they post these memes. Like, they're just doing like meme warfare, which I'm like, are we still, it feels like we're, it's like whatever is past tragedy farce, like three times past tragedy farce of 2016, I feel like I'm like watching that again with these guys. Like, I don't want to see a bunch of old guys do like repeat 4chan meme warfare. Like, let's move on. But like, I think the question here is like, they're trying to describe AI like it's a force of nature, like it's fucking gravity or something and not just something like they're inventing to trash all of human culture. But it's just like, what is the actual political vision? What is the political or social vision that these people actually stand for? Like what, what do they see as this like utopia? It's like, it's like both apocalypse and utopia, but like, what do they see as their vision? Is it just a society that's just like more computerized or where people are, have, microchips in their fucking brain or what i mean because like i I think it personally is just like we're going to use ai to manage society and it'll be the computers who determine who's worthy of living and who's not not us yeah i mean i think that a lot i think a lot of this e-act stuff i mean it feels like i don't want to like i don't know i don't know how much i want to reveal about myself but like i when i was like yeah a young lass i got like i was like super into reading a lot of the early accelerationist stuff that's like mark fisher right i mean that was when all of this stuff was getting kind of um hashed out in the blogosphere as it were like mark fisher or alex williams like those guys um and then obviously nick land and accelerationism as an idea kind of came out as a response to the crisis in 08 you know and it was sort of like well how do we understand how the contradiction between Basically, like everything feeling kind of stuck, but then also other things feeling like it's like increasingly with speed, right? Like how do we kind of, yeah, like how can we diagnose the kind of stuckness, but also try to achieve an escape velocity? Like what we feel in America right now, like our culture is just recycling itself over and over again. But at the same time, we have to witness things like what's happening in Gaza that feels like things are spinning completely out of fucking control. Totally. Totally. It's like, how are things continually speeding up while other things are are at the same time stagnating? How can we make sense of that? Right. And that's how like accelerationism as a kind of, which it wasn't really even like a fully thought out idea, but as a conversation kind of came out of all of that. Right. And, you know, then it got kind of weird. So you had all of these offshoots, the kind of left accelerationists, or it's like, then you had the Nicklandians, the right accelerationists and all this stuff. There's like even more like xenofeminism and all these other things that aren't interesting. Like we don't need to get into or whatever. (laughs) What is xenofeminism? Alien Uh, feminism? (laughs) Is this like the, the alien queen? Yeah. No, it's like more about accelerating kind of like, uh, accelerating towards the abolition of gender through like um, transhumanist developments, basically. And it's, these are all ideas that like people were kind of like hashing out, like in these like early blogs. You know what well, I mean? Well, was Justine Tunney one of these people? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure. There was, I mean, this was going on for a long. I mean, it's like ten years of people like working through shit. You know what I mean? And then, like you know, basically 
after the Christchurch shooting, everyone abandoned using the word accelerationist because it appeared in the kids' manifesto, right? Except for all of the crazy right-wing people, all of the like Nick Landians. And so there was like a total kind of just like collapse of all of that thinking. And it's all of the kind of offshoots, like I I guess it only like got used into the right and it's turned into this thing that doesn't even mean what it ever was attempting to kind of talk about or reach or take shape of or make sense of in the beginning. And now you see it with these guys, the the EACs, who are trying to kind of invoke the the old LAC or RAC of the accelerationists, the left wing of the accelerationists or the right wing of the accelerationists, whatever that was, um, into something that literally just means, well, we think capitalism should just keep on going. Because like that's yeah. what it's it's just like, well, I, we should actually just deregulate everything. And so we could just like keep it going. It's like, well, that's just what libertarianism. <laughs> so it's like turned into something that is is completely bog think, standard yeah. right wing libertarianism and not even it, the like insane radical Rothbard sense. Yeah, I think it gives a sci fi veneer to just like maintaining a neoliberal economy as everything falls apart. And yes. I, there's, there's just one other uh, article here. This is from. Uh, the New York Times, this is a headline here, Ego, Fear, and Money, How the AI Fuse Was Lit. And uh, Mike Isaac was one of the contributors to this. But the piece begins with uh, reporting on a conversation that took place at uh, Elon Musk's 41st birthday party on Ju- in July of 2015. And it was at this like Napa Valley resort. And I'm just going to quote here. It says, as the discussion stretched into the chilly hours, it grew intense. And some of the more than 30 partygoers gathered closer to listen. Mr. Page hampered for more than a decade by an unusual element in his vocal cords, described his vision of a digital utopia in a whisper. Humans would eventually merge with artificially intelligent machines, he said. One day there would be many kinds of intelligence competing for resources and the best would win. If that happens, Mr. Musk said, we're doomed. The machines will destroy humanity. With a rasp of frustration, Mr. Page insisted his utopia should be, should be pursued. Finally, he called Mr. Musk a speciesist, a person who favors humans over the digital life forms of the future. That insult, Mr. Musk said later, was the last straw. <laughs> and then it goes on to talk about later in the article, it talks about how uh, one of these like AI professors that like sort of worked their way into Elon Musk's orbit, uh, Musk told him that his dream was that humanity would shed our need to have live on Earth and begin to colonize Mars. And the guy asked him, what if the evil AI goes with us from Earth to Mars? And it said it froze Elon Musk in his seat. And he said, I'd never considered that. Wow. How do you not consider that? Like, <laughs> yeah. what else are you doing all day? I love that like, it'd be like superhuman, superhuman intelligence, but it wouldn't realize that it could go somewhere else. It was like, oh, no, you yeah, got the, me. You escaped. Here's the quote. Mr. Mr. Musk explained that his plan was to colonize Mars to escape overpopulation and other dangers on Earth. Dr. Hassabis replied that the plan would work so long as superintelligent machines didn't follow and destroy humanity on Mars, too. Mr. Musk was speechless. He hadn't thought about that particular danger. Mr. Musk soon invested in DeepMind along with Mr. Teal so he could be closer to the creation of this technology. See, I think he gave just me like, DeepMind. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think, like, 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 does he think that like we're going to be able to colonize Mars in like three years? He like, said we were going to be doing it a couple years ago. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess so. But it, it's, it, it's just like 
there's no way we would be capable of doing that unless we incorporated like i don't know some fucked up type of computer we're definitely not doing it now like what did how did he think that would go I shudder at the thought of what happens if the Grok AI follows humanity (laughs) to Mars and continues to plague us there. That would be it would be awesome to like uh, in like the last hour of oxygen you have on Mars. No chance of surviving. (laughs) And and you're getting Rick rolled by the Grok AI that controls all of your life support systems. The Grok AI. Grok is so awesome. It's like. It's ostensibly because he thought that like ChatGPT was too woke, but it's literally just a chatbot that writes like Chuck Windig. <laughs> they spent billions yeah, of dollars on credit from on from his own backyard. I know. I think that like I don't know. I think he realizes that they have to like figure out new ways for people to make content on Twitter. And so it's like, oh, maybe if we have this, then people will use it and pay for it to make images and whatever they want. So he can like compete with Phase World or whatever the fuck he sees on TikTok. Well, I mean, he's competing with Mind of Jason right now with the, some of the memes he's putting out. I know. The that are just his face with like epic, uh, epic words. To because go if with you it. think of like the like original content that Twitter's putting out, it's so bad. Like the, every space is it. Could, Spaces is crazy and really lame. It's lame. And then you have like Tucker Carlson interviewing crackheads. It's just like not he's not sending the best, you know, the only people who would like pay for Grok to make content for them, though, are like Dutch people. Like those (laughs) are the only people that would like find it funny or cool. Yeah, they would need the help too. the Dutch. I I, I mean, I will say if. If artificial intelligence or sort of silicon-based life forms are being trained and learning about human culture from Dutch people, I really do like we are cooked. Like yeah, Terminator is to happening Mars. tomorrow. That oh is so scary to think about. Like a <laughs> a, a Dutch hell. Oh he wakes he wakes up the astronauts in suspended animation before killing them by being like a beautiful girl at a cup of coffee. Good morning. Ugh, I, can't, I can't do that, Dave. making their own commodities. <laughs> I hate the Dutch. They are, I like, don't I hate don't, the Dutch. I don't hate the Dutch. I don't hate them individually. but I, they're, they're, I love Their posting style leaves something to be desired. Right, right. I think the Dutch have made amazing contributions to kickboxing, organized oh. crime. New York City. New York City. But... At, like their style of posting is like what about art, literature, music. Where is it? They don't have it. They don't have the it. whole they, Northern they Renaissance. Rembrandt. So it, yeah. Rembrandt. It's a bunch of paintings of things. They're a culture of things. <laughs> That's like half commodity. About the, night, the Night's Watch is all guys. They're commodity people. I have no time for the Dutch. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they they invented capitalism, but you know what else was around at the time? Not up flowers, I guess. Yeah. I'm like kind of an AI doomer, I will say. I don't know. I'll I'll get roasted for it. It's fine. But I like I mean I, I, I do to... think that some scary shit is going on at OpenAI. And I do think it is like an arms race that we're like not really privy to a lot of the inner workings. I mean, like I I I don't want to be a doomer because this is all nerd shit to me. But I yeah. read that article this past week about how Israel is using an artificial intelligence known as the gospel. To oh, create ever expanding, exponentially expanding hit lists for every person that they kill in Gaza. Oof. So, like, 
yeah, when I think about people like Peter Thiel and Elon Musk having their fucking hands, having their fucking claws on the levers of whatever AI is going to become, that's what I mean. Like that's why that's what Elon says when he considers that like a, robots will wipe us out or something. He's like, oh, I have to be very close to the creation of this so that they'll save me. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I think that like when we talk about the EA versus EAC, like um, I don't know, ideological war, because I feel like those two are kind of pinned against or like kind of pitted against each other, is that like OpenAI is kind of I mean, all of those guys are EA um, and not EAC, which is way more kind of like, like I said, just, you know, if, if accelerationist in the sense of like there should be no regulation, just like drive, 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 make, 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 but always for profit. Right. That's always kind of the idea with these behind these like Anderson, you know, what he's kind of saying and stuff. Whereas like OpenAI, you know, part of the weird thing about them is that they are structured as a nonprofit. And that's to kind of remove in a lot of ways. I mean, they they kind of gloss over it and say it's because of, you know, for altruistic reasons or like philanthropic reasons, which I don't think is totally true, obviously. But it also sort of enabled them because they weren't responsible to a board that was looking to maximize profits, it enabled them to kind of just go for whatever they wanted to go for and push this technology in a way that the EAC people say that they want, except they're so fucking addicted to the profits, they could never get it done. So what the EAC is just basically libertarian, stripping all regulations, even when it comes to pretty dangerous, potentially dangerous technology like you know, AGI and the what other is one is artificial general intelligence. So that means like the next level of like kind of like more cognitive abilities outside of a more consumer facing, like kind of what we would imagine like chat GBT to just. Be. So like, like general artificial intelligence is an artificial intelligence that will, when asked, generate child pornography, but it will feel guilty about it. I mean, that's when we would reach the singularity, right? <laughs> yeah. When it says, I can't do that, Elon. I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. All right, uh, Liz, let's leave it there for today. Uh, But Liz Franzik, host of Truanon, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, guys, for having me. And if, uh, you know, if if, if you're one of the few listeners who's not already subscribing to Truanon, if they, I mean, Liz, I gotta say, when Bracer's on, uh, he dropped a hint to our audience about a Truanon product that yes. has hit the market. And I was wondering if uh, you have any update on this revolutionary product and, and how it will change our lives. I can't say much. I've been sworn to secrecy because of uh, our commitments at OpenAI. However, <laughs> I agree with my comrade in arms that it is going to change the world. It's going to bring people together. It's going to be something that will unite the people rather than divide the people. And you'll be able to enjoy it with your friends, your families, your foes, and your lovers. Uh, have, and it's going, have, to be, it's going to be really beautiful. It's going to be really, really I have beautiful. Been, I've been granted a sneak preview of the <laughs> True and Non product coming out. And I got to say, I cannot wait. <laughs> yes, we're very excited. We're going to have a lot more that will... You know, make you'll be able to make more sense of what we're talking about real soon. Well, keep your eyes and ears peeled for that announcement soon, soon to be dropping. So uh, that does it for today's show. Liz, once again, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks so much for having me. Bye, everybody. 